We've all been there, in the middle of a job, everything going smoothly, until boom, you're missing a part. United Refrigeration is your one-stop shop for all your refrigeration needs. Use your computer or smartphone to go to www.uri.com at any time of day or night to check stock on your favorite brands, such as Copeland, Sporlin, Carlisle Compressors, Danfoss, Emerson CPC Boards and Sensors, Carell, Hussman Parts, and Ketotherm. United Refrigeration Inc. is home to these brands and many more. Looking for information on refrigerant conversions or refrigerant banking? Quick access links on the homepage can get you to the information you need. All approved accounts are able to see live to the minute inventory and pricing. Product not in stock at your local branch? No problem. Use the nearby stock feature to find a local branch that does have what you need. Are you looking for a branch address, phone number, or after hours number? That's all available as well. Just click on the branch locator and search for your local branch. Have a model number and looking for a replacement part? www.uri.com forward slash ARP has a vast list of quick pick replacement parts. Just search for the model number of the equipment you're working on and click the replacement parts tab. If you don't have an account, click the register button and we'll have you online in no time. With more than 400 locations in North America, each United Refrigeration branch is fully stocked for immediate pickup. Our branch employees have in-depth technical knowledge so we can help you get what you need when you need it. Visit your local store or www.uri.com forward slash ARP today. United Refrigeration Inc. has all your solutions down cold. The Sporland Division of Parker Hannifin Corporation is sponsoring this podcast. Sporland is the leading manufacturer of HVAC and R components. Using quality materials and craftsmanship, Sporland maintains a commitment to innovation, manufacturing excellence, service, and support for its customers since 1934. The company is known for its catch-all filter dryers, thermostatic expansion valves, solenoid valves, pressure regulating valves, suction filters, electric valves, controllers, supermarket monitoring solutions, chemicals, smart service tools, ZoomLock Max Press to Connect, and ZoomLock Push, Push to Connect Refrigerant Fittings. If folks want to learn more, what do they do? Uh, you can go to Sporland.com. I guess that's Jim and John for Sporland signing off. That's amazing. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Advanced Refrigeration Podcast. You're your host, Brett Wetzel and Kevin Compass. Yeah. Hey, so the Q&A, I think, was was really successful. It seemed like everyone was really kind of into it. I think we're, when we were talking about it, I think we're going to try to start doing those at least once a month just to kind of field some of the questions of, you know, what are coming from the industry and so we could do. What are you, where, are you doing service work this week or are you actually working for your department or what are you doing? No, I'm trying to finish my EMS changeover that the two that I have started that are never going to end because I can't get parts for them. And uh, yeah, it's been a pretty shitty week already. Like I've been, I've been dealing with the store manager from hell. Like I, I, if I could bash his brains in with a rock, it would probably make me a thousand times heavier. This guy gotcha. literally just takes pictures every day we leave. 
if there's like one piece of wire on the floor, he's taking pictures, like just like just ranting, raving. Like he is a psychopath. Like, really? The whole store just walks around in eggshells around this guy. He's just a miserable prick. Hey, real quick question: What your your volume on your mic? Where's that at? Is that three quarters of the way up? Turn it up some. Better. Oh, much better. Yeah, you're. I haven't. I haven't touched it. It hasn't moved. Oh, really? Okay. All right. You just. I don't know. It just. It sounds like you sound far away. It's so weird. All right. So you're. Wow, that sucks. What What are EMS conversions are you doing? I'm doing. Well, this is Dan Foss to Dan Foss. So. Oh, the two fifty five to to eight hundred series eight eighty or whatever. Which I have this awesome like fucked up bug in this one in the one controller where like the naming's all fucked up and out of order. And usually if you just change the, the name of the sensor, it'll rearrange it. Like if it's A and you change it to B, whatever, it'll it'll put it in order. Okay, on one controller, it works fine. Mm-hmm. And you can just the letter at the end and it's fine. Mm-hmm. On the other controller, gives a big old like screw you and like <laughs> you gotta move all the board points around. <laughs> really? Yeah, and it like just has all these random bugs. Like just randomly. Like it, none of the proof inputs work for the compressors on the one controller yeah like none of them work really you, you delete them none of them work they worked on a 255 they won't work on a that's really they weird work. on the other controller though just fine this is three different racks three different three different sets of proofs hmm. never change state no matter what you do you could sit there and short them you could change the board you could change the address then I had some other weird issue. Hold on, where, hold on. Let me, let, let me go back. Let me go back to the other one real quick because I know like there was a, a little snafu with the firmware at one point when with the two fifty fives where it would because I remember you and I talking about this and and you're like, I wish you would have called me earlier and asked me about it because you're like, yeah, I had this weird thing today and I spent hours on it trying to figure out why is that whole thing where if you don't use the EPRs in sequential order, you know what I mean? If you skip a point, it, get, it gets all stupid. So is did, are all the other points used? Oh no! Like this is the exact copy. Like this, they oh. copied the two fifty five program. So I mean, it's it's all the same. Like I mean, we, they've even gone as we've even gone as far as to delete an entire rack and reprogram it by from hand. Still doesn't work. So Dan Foss is looking at that, and then then there's this other lovely bug with it. Like randomly, just three weeks in, it decided it didn't like address number nine so the boards on address number nine were in com loss but you could go into the the nodes and you could see the actual board and you could see the board voltages you could see all the board information you could see the power supply information you could see a point on the board but it was all reading com loss and throwing the alarm and none of the outputs would work so sitting there, change the change the com module, change out the board. I had one sitting there. I'm like, let's throw one in there, rescan it. Comes back on for like two minutes, nothing. Back in com loss. That's delete, weird. Delete the entire condenser, all the board points. I had to change it to address number 29, which is the next address in the store. I had to change it to address 29, and the thing comes right on. And that was that was a story you're talking about where they the, the customer wanted sequential addresses. So you're oh boy, you're skipping nine. What are they gonna say? Yeah, so like nine is 
nine is a big old screw you because it doesn't want to work with nine. So yeah, I mean, it's, it, it will not, I tried something. We tried to obviously we're adding like Kate sensors in. So one of my guys put a, a small node in a, in a cabinet and ran a couple of wires to it. So we didn't have to run them across the store. And I'm like, let's just try number nine, see if it works. Nope. Won't work. Com loss. That's weird. Change it to 30, right online. No issues. That's so weird. Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting there pulling my hair out for like an, like three hours. Like I'm just in my wits in with it. Yeah, because you're making sure before you make that phone call, Yoda or whoever you're calling, like basically you, you just figure that shit out. Right. So you're not, so I, I, cause I, like, I try to call those guys only like if I, if, if someone comes to me with a problem, I'll try to figure it out. And then if I'm like, nope, I got to call the bat phone and just get a hold of whoever I have on speed dial with Dan Foss. Hey, you, you try not to abuse it. 100%. That's, and, and yeah, I don't try to be stingy with the numbers either, but like if, if they're, if the, the people that I've made contact with, if they're willing to answer when I call, you know what I mean? I'm not going to be like, I'm just going to give your phone number out to everybody. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. This is pretty frustrating. Then I had to go back to, on Friday, I went to a store where another contractor was. We put a case in and yeah. they, just pulled the, they were having issues with the E2. Then they realized the case was warm. We put in like a month and a half ago. So they ran out of the store and just told the manager to call us because it's under warranty. <laughs> well, I get there at four o'clock on a Friday, all, all irritated. And I look and the E2 dumped the, dumped the program out of it. So I dumped it back in and lo and behold, yesterday did it again. So I had to drive over there and then all of a sudden I go to pull out of the parking lot and I have no power steering. And I'm sitting there and these piece of shit Ford vans go into limp mode now when you lose power steering. Cause I'm like, I'm an hour and a half from home. Screw it. I'll just drive home. It's wet out. Anyway, I, I could drive home with no power steering. Nope. 15 miles an hour limp mode. So I sat there till like eight o'clock waiting on a tow truck and the shop would drop off some clapped out shop truck to me. So that's my my week the rest of the week i'm in some loner truck that has nothing in it so you're gonna be able to get a lot of stuff done oh yeah and we're yeah we're changing condensers tomorrow so i have all my like crap thrown in there and yeah it's not a good feeling not having your van hmm yeah no, i know i i never liked that i i tried i mean we're like that's why i try to, to hold up on the maintenance for any any of the vans that i've ever been in because i just don't want I, I I just don't want, I don't, I didn't like being in another van where everything is, you're comfortable, you have the stock for stuff. The worst thing is, is like, oh shit, I, I need something. Oh, wait, wait, I don't have my vehicle. So now you have to run out, maybe be able to get a hold of your vehicle if it's in a yard. Otherwise, it's a dealership, you can't get a hold of it. And it's just a freaking mess. It's a, it's a ordeal. And I get it. There's, there's shortage on everything right now, including vans. I don't like my shit sitting anywhere because it also has like $35,000 for the tools in it. So hundred percent. I yeah. agree with you. And then I got some dealership monkey that has a key to a vehicle with 35,000 tools in it. And well, the, next, you know, doesn't something. say snap on. You should be all right. Yeah. Overpriced junk. <laughs> Is there anything you do like? I'm yeah. Waiting. I'm waiting. I like tools that aren't like overpriced junk. Oh, okay. 
go to Harbor Freight and get the same Chinese tools as those. But you don't have the cool truck that it comes on, right? The rapist truck. That's awful. I'm down in Houston this week, just chumming away at this. I've got kind of behind because of all the other shit I had to do. I did want to bring this up, though. I, I had... um. So remember a while back we were talking about if you were to use EPRs in a in a rack, uh, I'm sorry, in a CO2 transcritical rack. We were at first I thought because if you have an EPR, it can positively close 100%, right? Um, so someone showed me some valve stations that they have at some of these other supermarkets, and it was a CO2 valve station, but they had the EPR. It looked like in parallel with the um, with the ball valve, which had the check valve around it. But the problem was, as we discussed before, if you try to do an EPR with a check valve, it's it's going to bleed by, right? Because I mean, the whole purpose of having that is if the inlet pressure, meaning your coil pressure, would go over your your suction pressure, it would be able to do its deal, right? They put a check valve in parallel with it. So every single time, like it would go to close down to regulate, it would just start bypassing around the check valve. Why the hell would they do that? Because they weren't paying attention. So what they should have done is took a check valve and they should have pointed it back towards the liquid. So there should have been a check valve on the inlet to the EPR pointing back towards the liquid. Oh, okay. So you still have that out in case you, you need it. Yeah. If it ever got over, uh, flash tank pressure then it would or liquid line pressure then it would vent back to the which you should never get to which should equalize out if anything it should equalize out back to the to the flash tank because i've never seen an sop for that at all like so i didn't know like because we we discussed it but like at that point i never heard you say that so was that something you just learned recently or what no that's what's what we did we did a, a target store we did a test store, basically one of the first CO2 stores. They, or was it, it was somehow one of the manufacturers, not the OEM that designed the rack, the case OEM. And he, they designed the cases with basically conditions that didn't exist. And they were magic conditions. And yeah, I remember discussing this. Ended up making the valves like twice the size. So we ended up putting EPRs in there to derate the all the pulse valves. And it worked fairly well. But yeah, that was brought up during that. Like everybody was wondering how how we're gonna do the check valves around it. They wanted the first drawing was two check valves around. I'm like, that's not gonna fucking work. It's just the complete opposite of an EPR. Like you're just you're just forcing everything to the check valves. I mean, the, the only other way that you could potentially do it, you'd have to put some kind of whether it be a high pressure relief differential valve. So in case the piping would get, I don't know, 150 pounds, it would have to be greater than than what your EPR is going to be able to cycle at. So you wouldn't have that that bullshit where it would basically start to bypass as soon as the EPR stops. Yeah, I mean, you could do any, you could do that, but I mean, I think a liquid check valve is by far the easiest. Just just whoop, right right on the inlet to the EPR, just right to the liquid line. That makes hundred percent sense because at least it still has a path around the expansion valve you know what i mean because if see i'm pretty sure like if you had if you had a pressure difference across reversed on a, on a pulse width valve it would it would probably overtake and, and open up just like a regular 
it'll pop it open. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so in case that happens, we're fine. But like with these bipolar steppers that they're still using, that there's no way to really do that unless I mean, there's there's like what they do on the iPro and stuff. They they have the, usually the battery backup, which will force the valve to close if it's not closed already, right? So we don't so we don't exert more pressure into the flash tank from the from the gas cooler. So, hey, but uh, we're talking about what are we talking about tonight? Didn't you say some small refrigeration, some testing? like single phase compressors and so kind of troubleshooting that kind of stuff. Yeah. You want to start? Go ahead. Have fun. No, oh, I'll watch. Stop it. You're such a dick. <laughs> so, like first and foremost, guys, we're talking about like single phase compressors or smaller, even smaller three phase K bodies, K bodies, tin cans, little disposable deals like the, like you would find in a self-contained single phase walk-ins, stuff like that. Little, little little tiny refrigeration. So first and foremost, the most single phase stuff that you're going to see is generally with us is going to be the self-contains. So small self-contains, so medium temp, low temp operations. Now there, there's a couple caveats to the way these are set up. So you have, you have your smaller single phase compressors, say your 115 volt compressors, like a small, we'll start with like a small little reach in cooler. So on, on this on this compressor, you're going to have a couple more components you normally wouldn't see on a three-phase rack compressor. You're going to have an overload. You're going to have a capacitor, a run capacitor, and you may have a start capacitor and a potential relay, depending on what it, how it's set up. So every one of these compressors is slightly different. So you have compressors that require more starting torque and they're going to have a start capacitor and a run capacitor and a potential relay. And you have compressors that are going to have less starting torque requirements, so they're just going to have a run cap and a relay. I'm sorry, an overload relay. Now, the way that these work, so you have a single-phase compressor. You have a relay in there, a starting relay that's going to keep that start winding in for so many seconds until that compressor is up to a certain speed and it's going to either have a current relay or it's going to have a relay using back EMF. That's the potential one, right? The potential relay where it basically it usually has a, a pickup voltage on there, usually rectangled. Make sure that you have them in a proper position. There's actually an arrow on there, and that arrow is meant to be facing, it says, this way up. If you do not put that in, it may not sound like a big deal, but what, what actually what will happen is is the, the component will actually go bad. What happens is if it sets in the opposite direction, it, it doesn't allow it to actually make full contact. Uh, or fully drop out one of the two where it basically will then wear out the start components. Like we had one where another company put one in, we went back and put the start components in when we realized the start components were bad. And then they went bad again. And then they went bad again. And I'm like, well, what's going on? Well, what had happened was the first initial person who changed it out, just, you know, threw it in there. So usually you put things with the way back that, that you want them right so that's what they did and in turn put the relay upside down which made it prematurely fail we went back there with the components again turned it back the right way and then all of a sudden we didn't get the call back again 
The other thing with that pickup voltage, most of the manufacturers will tell you what the pickup voltage is. And there's a reason for that. At United, you can get a, a potential relay that has an adjustable pickup voltage little potentiometer on there. So basically, if you find out the pickup voltage is 414, then you set that that high. So it basically it made sure that it that it goes goes to the run winding as, as soon as it does reach that 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 pickup. Now, yeah, with that pickup voltage, so what you're going to do is you're going to put your meter on the coil and measure it when that thing's starting. And when it gets to, say, it's 440 volts, when it gets to that 440 volts, it should drop out that start winding and energize the run winding. If it's not and it's sticking, that compressor will burn that run winding out real quick. That or there was starts to burn a start winding out real quick. That start winding is not as robust as that run winding. It can't handle that amperage going through there for very long. It's made just to get that compressor going and keep that that start capacitor in there for so many seconds, and then it's it's meant meant to kick it out and then run on the run on the run winding. So you need to make sure that that's switching over and you're actually getting full voltage through it to your run winding. Yeah. And, and sometimes on some smaller single phase stuff, I know we're talking about compressors, but I'm just going to bring this up. Sometimes you will have a centrifugal switch that will, once it gets up to a certain speed, it'll kick out that start capacitor on that start, start winding and just let the thing off the run, run off the run. Yeah, that's the other big thing with those is checking your caps, checking your caps and making sure that they're actually good and that they're you have good microfarads on them and they're not weak and they're, and they're within whatever the plus or minus it says in the cap, whether it's 5%, 2%. So you need to make sure that the, the caps are good. Now, when you do these, you're going to want to short them together. After you take the power off the unit, you're going to want to short the caps together with a screwdriver or something to make sure it's dead. Cause it is like a little, little taser if it gets you. So you want to short it together and then you want to, you know, take it out. And then if it, if you have a run or a start cap and it has a bleed diode on it, you're going to want to disconnect that. For So when you check it, you actually get an accurate reading on there with your meter. Well, one thing I will recommend, you know, on top of doing what you just said, basically making sure that your meter can do capacitance and then actually checking the microfarad itself. I also would recommend the capacitor. I, I've seen some capacitors where they, where, they, where they're fi like fine as far as the, microfarad actually rating within tolerance but then when it goes to start up it just it it eats its lunch and can't start it up so there's a method of actually checking your um your capacitance based off of what the hell is it hold on let me... so hv that hvac school has like an awesome way of testing it with it running right here measure check check capacitor data tag capacitance and tolerance Number two, measure the start winding amps with an amp clamp between the capacitor and the start terminal. And then measure the voltage drop across the capacitor from Herm to Common. And then multiply the amps times 2,652. And then divide it by the voltage across the capacitor. And it should give you the microfarad reading that that compressor is actually at. Or just change it out because caps are five bucks. When in doubt, always replace the cap. When in doubt, change it out. I mean, if you're if you're if you're doing something with starting components, change them all out. 
Like if you're there and you're changing out a you know potential relay, change the caps too. Mm-hmm. Don't don't gamble on a five dollar cap going bad and then you look like an asshole because you save the customer ten dollars on caps and you change the potential relay and then the caps go bad and the compressor's toast. Now you're an asshole. <laughs> well, I mean that, that's how I feel with like self-contained shit and like small stuff like that. I'm gonna change. I'm either changing all the starting components or I'm changing the compressor because I, I'm torn about this because I've gone over this with a lot of guys because I did this early in my career. It was, I just changed the, the start, start components that were bad and move on. But like, I've been burned so many times. We get a compressor and it's sitting there and it's cycling on limit. It's cycling on the overload because the start cap went bad. The run cap went bad or the overload was messed up and you know what you cool it down you get it working you throw the parts in there you say you spent a hundred dollars united you got all the starting components a yippee yay you you put it back together it runs next week it's down again compressors toast yeah it's kind of lame because you don't know how much damage is done to the windings but it's sitting there trying to start like that i mean it stresses it out so i mean you, you got to play it 50 by ear. I mean, if it's an old pump and it's been doing that, I'm probably just going to, I'm probably going to order a new pump. So I have a question. PTC relay or start, start, start operation. Have you seen very many of them? I, the only time I really ever see them anymore, they used to be in the heat craft units, but now it seems like a lot of them are in the ice machines and stuff, but I not very much anymore. Do you see them out there anymore? I haven't seen one in, it looks like a little barrel it has two connections on it and it basically opens up i think based off of i think based off of amperage and it warms up and then cuts off the power to the to the to the run terminal and and just lets it run or i'm sorry off the start run start terminal and then lets it run off the run i'm gonna be honest you i haven't seen one like 10 years really yeah They're, they're not very common up here I wonder what the actual difference is. Like, I mean, like, all right, not the difference, but like the, the, like certain ways of starting compressors are done because of certain operations. So like, so residential. So they used to have bleed, bleed expansion valves and non-bleeding expansion valves, right? So if you bled, then basically that would equalize your pressure. And I've seen like brand new units that look almost like they have almost like a hard start on them. And that's what I, I was told that that would be a non-bleed type system because then you're starting up essentially on a non-equalized load for like a residential correct and like self-contains it the same way so think of it like a cap tube system so you have a cap tube system it's going to be a bleed basically so it's going to be starting with lower torque that's why you'll see like a lot of like say true self-contains like a like a little prep table you're just going to see a run cap in there with a current relay and that current relay is just when that compressor goes to start, when it draws a certain amount of amp draw on, on that that start winding, it's going to drop it out and, and apply power to the run winding. So it's it, it's just current. So you throw your amp clamp on there and you're measuring the current on there mm-hmm. and be switching over your winding when that happens. So you should get power from C to R once your amp draw hits. You're going to have C to S. You're going to have 115 volts or 230 volts, whatever it is. And... Once it hits that amp draw, that current relay is going to switch it over. So, I mean, there's no starting torque on there, very low. And then you have something like a, say, like a 
reaching or a walk-in cooler or walk-in freezer single phase. Say, save it didn't pump down or it's got a huge starting torque there. There's a lot of load. Mm-hmm. So it's going to need, it's going to need a start cap and it's going to need a potential relay, some more heavy duty. Yeah. And then same thing, like any, anytime you're, you're, you're non-equalizing out, I mean, you're going to need start cap. That's like why mm-hmm. some, some scroll, they say like scroll residential units, they, they, they need start, start caps if they have TXVs on them because there's they're not bleeding backwards through the through the compressor today's episode is sponsored by the refra shield rdp series differential pressure monitors from westermeyer industries now available for transcritical co2 systems in addition to other common pressures and refrigerants when the filter element of your coalescing oil separator is contaminated it can hurt your system's performance and efficiency but how do you know when it's time to replace that filter wait too long to replace and you could end up with a nasty filter blowout but replacing too often can be a waste of time and money the answer is installing a differential pressure monitor the rdp series differential pressure monitors including the new transcritical co2 model are available now from westermeyer industries to find out more information, email sales at westermeyerin.com. That's W-E-S-T-E-R-M-E-Y-E-R-I-N-T-Com. No, I got you. Well, how about, all right, since we talked about that, let's let's go back to the current relays about diagnosing them. Typically, if you check any kind of ohms across them, if you go from the L to the M terminal, you should get, I think it's le- less than one ohm. And if you check from S to L, this, yeah, the, the line to the start, or no it's not start i forget what that terminal is it's just labeled as s then it would be infinite ohms you shouldn't get anything if you start getting any kind of ohms that means that it could be partially shorted when it's not supposed to be right yep so i mean it could be stuck take them off a lot of times i find the 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 current relays burned up like you just find them bad connection i mean they're in those like crappy little boxes and they get all that wire shoved in there and they get a bad connection because like the wires pushing on them mm-hmm. and the wire for the condenser fan motors are pushing on them and they make a really bad connection. So they end up burning out. So, I mean, current relays are like super cheap. Like a lot, if you're doing like a lot of like smaller stuff, I mean, keeping like caps and current relays and some, you know, potential relays in your truck is like dirt cheap. Like you Copeland has like a ton of relays, but there are a ton of caps, but like most of them are the same for like most compressors and and remember i mean except for, I, I don't know if you can can you put two start caps together like if you were trying to change the ohms right so let's just say you needed a run cap i know you can just wire them up and then change change the the microfarads right so the cap's a cap yeah. right yeah i just didn't know if anything would be weird with the bleed resistor but just in case you don't have a another the correct capacitor the way that you can do it is it's a induct or i'm sorry microfarads is basically capacitance is done the opposite or inverse as as what you would do resistance right so if we have capacitors in series where if it was resistance you would add it right um with capacitance there's a formula to do it you basically take one over the first cap plus one over the other cap and then whatever the answer you get you do one over that and then that'll give you what the capacitance is so example like if you have 100 100 microfarad and 100 microfarad you wire them up together it'll you know uh, in in series it'll give you 50 microfarads if you want to add the values and you have 250s and you want to make 100 you put them in parallel 
which is the opposite of what happens when you do the when you when you do resistance versus capacitance. That's why I like those. I mean, they're expensive, like ridiculously expensive, but I like those like multi caps. Like I'll keep one in my truck for it, you can basically move the jumpers around and make it whatever you want. I mean, it's it's perfect for service. Like get you out of like a pinch. I mean, for what we're doing, if you need one for condenser fan motor or like you need one for a run cap on a cooler or something, mm-hmm. perfect. I mean, and they're 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 heavy duty, good made caps. I think Amrad makes them. Rectus seal. Am well, Amrad's a camp manufacturer. I think I think everybody makes one. Yeah, there's, that's a, there's different manufacturers, but like caps are cheap. I mean, if you're doing a lot of like smaller stuff, just keep caps on your van. Like, I mean, caps are dirt cheap, easy markup, but like easy, easy to keep, and they go bad all the time. So, I mean, that's something to check. But if I'm if I'm doing anything with with start run components, like I'm checking everything. I'm going to check both caps. I'm going to check the relay, make sure it drops out the proper. And then let, let's go over like the other obvious side of it, like the people miss all the time in the system side. Okay, so if you're having starting component issues, is it overcharged? Because if it's overcharged, I've I've seen more guys miss a compressor starting cap or starting uh, component issue like they'll throw components on there it lasts a while it burns out then they throw another set of components on there it lasts a while it burns out and I, it's been more times than not that that the unit's overcharged yeah so if it's like a smaller self-contained it's overcharged and guys are you know throwing it in there and it, it's starting with more 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 pressure in there and more torque and it can't handle it yeah, well, the other thing to add on that, so, I mean, the other thing, especially with lower temp stuff um, that usually has an expansion valve, uh, when you have a low temp compressor, depending on what case it's attached to, sometimes those cases do hold a lot of heat, especially after a defrost. So the pressure might increase greater than what the than what the rated FLA is. So example, so we, we had, we had um, we were told to just change out a compressor. That's all we were told. Get over here and change out, change out this K body straight just the K bodies while we're talking about it, they have very big heat sinks and because they are non suction gas cooled winding compressors, you have to have a fan blowing across them. So that's usually why they're placed right in front of the condenser fan and, or you water jacketing around there. But back to what I was saying, we had a unit that we were told to change out the compressor. We changed out the compressor and they're like, it's bad or it's, it's, it's off. It was off at that point. We had a call on it. So we go there first, find out that, it's kind of a pump down system, but not really. So it just shuts down the solenoid. Um, and then during defrost, it would shut down the solenoid up at the up the the condensing unit, but the fucking line was probably 50 feet away from the unit. So it was going off on high pressure. All right, so great. All we did was just install the solenoid downstairs. Awesome. We think we fixed it. So call comes in again. Like, wait a minute, that would that would definitely cause it, cause a high amp, especially when it would, would go to pump down and it's excessive times of doing it. And it wasn't doing that anymore. Well, we figured out after the second time it happened to go down around the same time. What happened was the compressor would kick back on when it come out of defrost. This was a uh, coffin case, which uses electric heat and it keeps the fans on, right? So you're just cooking that whole case until it gets up to whatever temperature. Long story short, as soon as it would uh, kick up after defrost, it would be well across the the FLA that was rated for that compressor. So what do we need? In that instance, you typically would put in a crankcase pressure regulator, 
And then that way that that'll limit the amount of suction going to your compressor, which will limit, limit the amount of amperage that compressor run. What we did because we had a, a secondary option, right? So we, we, we put it into a defrost just to watch when exactly the amperage of the compressor was in, was okay. Right. The reason for this, this was a R404 system for Sporlin. They make a RZ. Oh no, it's a, yeah. RZP powerhead which is a low temp powerhead, but it's pressure limiting. And it says P40 there, which means it basically doesn't allow, it'll clamp down until the, the suction pressure gets down to at least 40 pounds and then start feeding. And right around, coincidentally, right at, I think it was like 42 PSI, it would, it would, it would go right to FLA and then finally work its way all the way down. So I was like, well, shit, changing out the powerhead is a lot easier than having to cut a line put in the valve, set the valve, you know what I mean? Let's just, let's change it out for the, for the, for the pressure limiting powerhead. And that's exactly what we did and didn't have any problems with that compressor doing, doing dirty anymore. But about those K body compressors, they have this weird looking overload thing in there. And a lot of people, when they, when they do check the ohms on the compressor, they pull everything out, they pull the overload out and they pull everything out and just measure from the windings. Well, if you measure the windings, even if the windings are good, it's going to give you open. And it's because that overload needs to be installed and working properly for you to actually check the motor windings because the way it's designed. So the other, the other caveat to that guys, when you are setting, like Brett said, when you are setting those, when you are setting the crankcase pressure regulators, you want to get as much heat in that thing as you can peak defrost as much as it can get, take the term sensor, the, the termination off, let it run a full length defrost. You want to get it as hot as you can. And then you want to throw that amp clamp on there and you want to be ready to screw that thing in. And you want to keep it like half an amp, quarter an amp, half an amp under that FLA of that compressor. Now, a lot of these, they, they don't list the FLA on there on the sides of the compressors anymore. So you're going to have to get on that Copeland app and you're going to have to look it up, you know, what, what the actual FLA is and what it's designed for, because a lot of these compressors on the tags are not coming out with that FLA on there anymore. They still have the lock rotor on there, don't they? They have the lock rotor, but not the FLA. Well, I, there's a formula to, to do that. It's divided by something. You take the, take the lock rotor amps and like, Divided by six or something like that. I, I I'm not holding out the gospel, so don't fucking write that down. But yeah, I mean, but I know the app tells you. You you could look it up on the app what the FLA would would end up being. So I mean, I'm a big proponent of using that information that's just at hand. But yeah, it's that that's one thing you're gonna want to start driving that valve in. As you drive that valve in, you're going to be holding back gas on the evaporator side and allowing less gas to come in on the compressor side. So you want to set that at peak load and just know that you want to get it just below there. You don't want to back up enough gas where it's going to cause excessive pull downs, but you want to back up enough where it's going to protect the compressor from getting slugged and getting overloaded. And you want to keep it from cycling on that overload. And the other thing with those K bodies is I see this a lot on smaller walk-ins, mom and pop stores and stuff. Guys will throw fan cycling on stuff with K bodies. You cannot do that. You are killing that compressor. You you need that airflow, like Brett said, across that compressor. 
you need that constant airflow across it. So a K body has to have a headmaster or flooding controls in the wintertime. I see lots of like people with restaurants and stuff, they'll throw a fan cycling control in there. It's only got one fan and that's not good for that compressor because now that motor is getting hot. Yeah, you may not have high head pressure right now, but that motor is getting hot and it's eventually going to weaken the overload and weaken the compressor. I totally agree with that. Like we we had one where the someone put the wrong wrong fan on there. Uh, it was it was the lesser of the uh, lesser of RPM that was supposed to be. It was all these units up in Connecticut that I was working on was was all water cooled, open loop open loop cooled for the for the condenser. So obviously no fans, but it's a smaller, almost like a Trader Joe's setup where they have all the little single condensing units like that in the basement. Except for all these were water cooled instead. And yeah, it would just, someone put the wrong fan in there, the wrong RPM, and it just ended up cooking the compressor. It didn't totally grenade it, but I mean, we, we, it would trip out usually like after, after a heavy defrost. Yeah. The, the other thing with like single phase compressors, guys, like small stuff, discharge temps are a major killer for the compressor, the oil cap tubes. So keeping those discharge temps down keeping those condensers clean that gets a huge thing they get greasy i mean most of this stuff's in prep tables or like in like bad crammed areas keeping those condensers clean is key i mean think about it like and that's also going to wear out star components more you have a dirty condenser you're going to have higher pressure it's going to start it's going to have a harder start it's going to build that pressure faster and it's going to put more wear on those components and that compressor so if you are losing star components, I mean, take a look at those condensers and see how bad they are. You're making a face like I'm retarded. No, I'm, I'm just, I was, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm trying to talk, think about, I don't think I know what you're talking about. Say it again. So if you have dirty condensers, you're uh -huh. going to put more wear and tear on those starting components. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Because you're 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 putting more amp draw on them. You're putting more load on the compressor when it goes to start. I mean, it's it's going to build head pressure even quicker. So I mean, that that's just more load on on the actual compressor. So, I mean, that, that's going to wear start starting components. Yeah, and like you said before, because of the overheating of the of you're running a larger saturated condensing temperature, obviously everything's going to run warmer. Oil runs warmer, and if it is a capillary tube system that oil is going through the system no matter what. So the more crap carbon that you're building up because of the excessive heat, the more that shit's going to go around the system. And you're just going to have to probably rerun a cap tube, which is never really a really fun time. That may be one of the suckiest things ever, especially in like a prep table. You got to rip the whole damn thing apart to, to run a cap tube. So and it's, and it's usually either wrapped around or soldered to the, into the suction line to get a little bit of heat exchanger. Yeah, sometimes you ain't getting that. So, all right, let me, <laughs> let me bring this up to you because this is, we used to do like a ton of Whole Foods work when I worked from with my brother. And uh, like we did a ton of Whole Foods work. So obviously they had a million prep tables in those places. Mm -hmm. So the common thing you, you would see a lot is welded temperature controls. Like they would weld the contacts. So the temperature control is the line voltage in the coiled temperature control. It would weld the contacts because, I mean, it, it either couldn't handle it or the Dixel controllers 
or the Corel controllers, whatever, and they were welding contacts. Why why don't they just use a pilot relay instead? Yeah, that that was my, I would see so many compressors fail from that because they would weld and they would just run and run and run. It would ice up and then it would end up slugging the compressor and end up breaking the compressor and Mm. cause all kinds of damage. Like I started putting in pilot relays, like just the cheap, whatever supply house has, like United or whatever, White Rogers, like 15 amp relay. Just like a residential style relay, but a 115 or 208 volt one. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, using that as a pilot relay. Yeah, just make sure it's it's rated for what that compressor is. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's a, a much better solution than just putting in another Dixel controller or Corral controller. They can't handle the they can't handle the amp draw on them. Like they they, they just can't. Yeah. Well, the other thing is too, making sure that the, obviously the contactor, if you are using one is, is rated for that, but also the amount of cycling, right? Like anything else, you know, they really don't want you cycling more than 10 times an hour or yeah, 10 times an hour. Right. So that'd be 240 cycles. Yeah. So that's, that's like the max that you really want it. So sometimes you have, you do have systems that go off of pressure control not so much anymore that i don't i don't see much anymore but st- still nonetheless making sure that the if it does have pressure control making sure that's not set correctly and not too low for that compressor i've seen I, that happen that too. may be the worst way to control anything yeah well if, if it's designed 100 percent right then no but i mean yeah yeah <laughs> i mean it's, it's just there's just too much room for error and then then you then you introduce the customer yeah well so on those other the other single phase compressors sometimes you will have the the overload open up uh, and it's because the compressor is out operating outside its operating envelope i had a a medium temp compressor on a on a i forget what manufacturer unit but it came with a peanut peanut low pressure switch it was it wasn't it wasn't adjustable it's just a peanut low pressure switch and once again this apparently i didn't know about the call came in a couple times and and then I got sent to it and then I looked at the history. I'm like, well, what the fuck? I mean, there's something, something up with this, obviously. And I, I just was watching it pump down. I'm like, wow, this is medium temp. Why is it pumping down all the way down to like two pounds? I, I don't know. So I, I looked up, I looked up the, the, the spec on it and it said it didn't, for using 404, it didn't want any lower than 37 or 30, 39 PSI. As far as that's what they wanted the low pressure cut out for. And that was because it would operate out out, operate outside its operating envelope. Try to say that fucking three times fast. But anyway, so it would it would what's that? Is it the wrong switch on it? Well, they had yeah they had an encapsulated one, so I just I switched it out for an adjustable and then adjusted it so it wasn't doing that anymore. So and it it wouldn't happen in the winter time because like even though your, your compression ratio isn't super super high in the winter time especially like connecticut and stuff but as soon as the summer would hit these units were probably only designed like kevin's area 95 degrees right so if it's 95 degrees and you're pulling that suction on that medium tip case all the way held down to 10 psi that's a hell of a compression ratio at that point especially with 404 so just be mindful as that as well there are limits for some of these compressors and make sure that you follow it i mean the best thing like kevin already mentioned is getting that copeland mobile app for the sure fact that it will give you all the information. It'll give you the components, the start components. It'll tell you what's supposed to be on there because man, I, I gotta tell you, I, I think a lot, a lot of the issues that, that, that you, we end up finding ended up being self-inflicted, right? It's, it's, it's stuff that 
maybe that someone sold the wrong parts and then you end up getting the call because it came in and then you, you just do the research and start reading through some of the manuals and stuff on the, these compressors. It'll give you all the operating parameters of this thing to make sure it's not operating outside it. Maybe give you a hint of what's going on actually internally to help you prevent the callback. So another thing like, so like the, this is like more customer specific, but like it, it, it does antiquate out into other things. So like the bakery in like deli roll arounds at Costco and and Sam's have like they, they're all over the place. The, the little mobile merchandisers, those things, when they start to build like aisles out of them, when they merchandise and push them all together, it never ends good. But like what ends up happening with those things is they never seem to have enough ventilation underneath them. Now, what I'm saying is they, they, they draw air in through the front of the condenser. They're always plug solid. You clean them, but they always run extremely hot and they blow the air out like underneath the case and it doesn't ever seem to get cool enough underneath there. So we've done a couple things. Like we've, we've taken a couple of them that have been like problem childs. Like they're in like a really crappy like area. We end up locking the condenser fans on all the time. I mean, yeah, the condenser gets dirty faster, but at least you have that air going over that compressor to keep it cooled down in between cycles. And then we've installed like muffin fans on a couple of them on the back sides of them. Like I've installed like two or three of little like computer fans on there to help ventilate that area underneath that compressor. Did you just call it a muffin fan? Yeah. Why is it called a muffin fan? I don't know, because that's what I've always heard it called. A muffin fan? Yeah. Can you tell me about the muffin fan? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> but no, like, I've, I've installed those underneath there. I mean, they draw like a quarter amp, but they draw enough air out where it's it's getting that heat out of the bottom of that, that cabinet in between when that compressor shuts off and the fan shuts off, that fan is drawing the, those one or two fans are, are drawing enough heat out of there where it's cooling down that compressor and it's keeping it in that envelope and it's keeping it from grenading. Yeah. I'm also going to say something that you're probably going to be like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. Don't cut out the condensate loop. If it's leaking, if it's leaking refrigerant, Try to replace it. You do? Okay. I thought this was going to be one of those things where Kevin's like, no, nah, I'm not fucking doing that. No, I mean, I always replace them. Like, I, I would rather, because, I mean, let's be honest, like most of these cases now, they have the condensate loop and they have a, a heater pan and they still can't keep up. So, I mean, if you're if you're cutting out the condensate loop, I mean, most of these cases still, I mean, especially if it's an open-air multi-deck, it's mm -hmm. probably got both. And it's probably still going to struggle to keep up the humidity high. Yeah, I agree. So, with that. I mean, that that's another thing. Plug cap tubes. This is the last thing we we'll go over. Plug cap tubes are, are are a compressor murderer. So, I mean, you're gonna have high suction temps coming back, so you're cooking the oil. You're gonna have non-equalized starts, so you're not equalizing fast enough. So, you're gonna have non-equalized starts. It's gonna cause it to short cycle. And that that could cause your compressor to have overload issues. If I'm changing a compressor, it's getting a cap tube. If it has a cap tube, I won't change a compressor without changing a cap tube. Like it, it's I've been burned way too many times on it.
Like, I'm going to put it all together. I'm going to put the compressor in. I'm going to put the new liquid dryer in. I'm going to charge it up, turn it on. And they realize, shit, it's got a plug cap tube. Now I got to order a cap tube and I got to tell the customer, hey, I got to requote this. I need a cap tube. Now you look stupid. And instead of just ordering the $35 cap tube, yeah, it's, it, it adds another two, three hours of the job, but you already got everything in there. I mean, it's already got the gas out of it. So what maybe an extra hour put a cap tube in? I mean, I, I would much rather do that than have to take everything back apart again and then put a cap tube in it later. Or make sure that you don't have to call and get like a specific one. I mean, there's there's some of these ones where they it's a requirement. They want, they want you to wrap it around. So sometimes you have to, there was a, I forget what manufacturer was. I just remember being at one of the customers where there was a retro fit because they had ongoing issues with the cap tube and you couldn't get the, it was one of those ones where the, the cap tube actually ran in the case and they ended up having to have you run the line set outside Ooh. of the unit. It was the trues. Like you would have, to, drill, it was? You'd have to either drill holes in the sides. Like I'm going to be honest to you. I've changed a shit ton of those cap tubes. I drill a hole in the back of the case and I sheet metal tape it to it. I'm not wrapping it all around there. Like, yeah, I know it's for the sub cooling and what, whatever, like, that's a lot of fucking bullshit just to do that. Like, to be honest, just buy a new case. If, if we're going that far, just buy a new case. They're all throwaways. They're they're not worth it. Expensive. They're like eight grand. Okay, and then you're gonna put you're gonna put two thousand dollars into something you paid eight thousand for. Price translates if you have an engine blowing your car, right? I mean, I like that's why I like the the bullseye's uh, mentality of it. Once it hits that 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 line, she's done. <laughs> once it once it once the ROI is gone, it's gone. Yeah, I mean, like I've had ones where they're like, "I need a door gasket." They're like, "Nope, just wheel it out back. It's getting the new one." I'm just like, "Ooh, but it's a door gasket." They're like, "Nope, new case." Wow, that's amazing. Got anything else? I'm 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 single phase compressor troubleshooting out right now. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Catch you in the next one. Have a great night.